The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Start! You can call me Bruce. Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome. To another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. It might be a little shorter of a pod today because I'm not feeling very well. But I will power through because I said I was going to. And I keep my word. So, I think when I'm done here, I might go get a shower. Just sit there for a minute, let the hot water flow over you, and go, okay. (sighs) Okay. Level, I'm okay, everything's fine. And if I were to spend a meaningful amount of time in the shower, my wife might knock on the door and say, hey, what's going on in there? What's taking so long in there? And that's the funny thing about showers, is that For some people, they're short events. For some people, they're longer events. And for certain people, they're longer events only at certain times. And for other people, they're shorter events only at certain times. I actually decided to crowdsource some information on Twitter. And I said, how long is your average shower? And you got all sorts of people. Three minutes, four minutes, 15 minutes. From a percentage-based standpoint, it is drastic. I mean, we have... Some people whose average time is three to four times bigger than someone else's average time. Ostensibly, we're all doing the same thing. We're washing our hair. If we have hair, we're washing our body. We're doing all the things that we need to do, washing our face. And then we're getting out of the shower. But getting a shower is not just getting a shower. It's not the same from person to person. It's a simple task, right? You know, I've got bodies to clean. But we have a hard time imagining people who don't look like us getting a shower, mostly because a lot of times we don't want to. But if you ever cohabitated with anyone, then your perspective will be different on showers than if you've been single, 
or bachelor or bachelorette for the overwhelming majority of your life and currently now. Kristen Kimmick, Bill's Mafia Babes, commented exactly what I wanted her to comment. We didn't lay this out ahead of time. We didn't talk ahead of time, but she put down exactly what I was hoping someone would do. What I was fishing for, she delivered. And she delivered this statement that there are multiple types of showers. For some people, there are showers where they'll wash their body, showers where they'll wash their body and their hair, and then showers where they'll wash their body and their hair and they'll shave. So this can apply for men. It can apply for women. There are people who will shave their heads in the shower every day. There are people who will shave their legs in the shower every day. And because of that, the average amount of shower time is very different from person to person. What if you don't have hair? What if you shave your chest, back, armpits, legs every single day due to work or a preference? Every single thing that I have mentioned so far adds variance to the distance between one person's average shower and another person's average shower. And before you know it, your shower looks very, very different than someone else's shower, which means it might take longer or shorter amounts of time. It might involve more or fewer steps. And I say all this because of the question, what's taking so long in there? That question. Why did you take so long or what's taking so long in there? is a question based entirely around not knowing what's going on behind the curtain or behind the glass or however it is. Maybe you have an open shower. Maybe you're one of those newfangled people. So long, what's taking so long is a relative term. It's relative to the tasks that we know are being completed and how long we know those tasks take, which means if you ask the question, why did you take so long? It's because there is a gap between the tasks that you know are being completed and the length of time associated with those tasks and the amount of time that has passed. That's how we talk about play calling in the NFL. We don't care about what went into it. We only care about whether or not more points were scored than the other team before the clock hit zero. If we focus in instead on the details first, the bigger picture gains focus. We no longer have to ask what took so long in there because we knew what took so long in there. We knew all the things that went into it. If we focus on the bigger picture first, results-based thinking, well, she's taking a long shower. Well, do you know what she's doing in there? Well, he's taking a long shower. Do you know what he's doing in there? If you knew, maybe you wouldn't think the shower was so long. It feels different if you know that he's shaving his head. It feels different if you know that she's shaving her legs. But why is she taking so long in the shower? Why is he taking so long in the shower? Only matters the first time you say it. After that, you have the ability to go find out. Anyone who has cohabitated with someone knows exactly what I'm talking about. You have the ability to know that information, which means if you say that, to your wife of eight years or your husband of 17 years. It's either because that particular shower was an outlier or it's less and less about having the information and more and more about you just wanting to be frustrated about something. Example, Josh Allen did not get a ton of pressure against him, against the Raiders. And we thought, hey, that's a good thing. I'm happy about that. A lot of people were worried about Spencer Brown coming in. 
Josh Allen also didn't get a lot of pressure against him against the Commanders. Spencer Brown has been almost a non-topic for the last two weeks. The result was similar, which was that Josh Allen didn't get a lot of pressure. But all of the things that went into it were very different. Spencer Brown did not play an overly great game against the Raiders. He played better against the Commanders. The results were the same. The process was very, very different as far as scheming and what went into it and what the offensive coordinator and offensive line coach were scheming up to help Spencer Brown and how he performed on an individual level. And if you ask any of the people who have watched tape on those two games, they will tell you that. I'm one of those people. I'm telling you that as well. Spencer Brown was markedly better against the Commanders, in my opinion, than he was against the Raiders. But the result was similar. Josh Allen didn't get a lot of pressure. But all the things that went into it were different. Am I using results-based thinking or am I using process-based thinking? Why was Josh Allen not under pressure? Or the inverse, why was he under pressure so much? Or the inverse for the Commanders. Why could we not get pressure? You can either go and find out or you can just keep asking because you want to be mad. You want to be frustrated. You want to have results-based thinking. We do this with play calling all the time. If it works, it was a great call. If it doesn't work, it was a bad call. All we care about is the results. Do you know what happens if you only become a results-based thinker? You become a radio caller. You know all those people that we all have a good time laughing about? Well, they'll call into a radio show and they'll say the craziest things. Those people are ultimately the most results-based thinkers. Well, Josh Allen hasn't quote-unquote won, because, you know, obviously they think wins are a quarterback stat, hasn't won a game in a couple weeks. Let's try Kyle Allen. Those people. That is the logical end for what results-based thinking gets you. If you are 15 years into a marriage, you've been cohabitating with someone, they've been taking similar showers their entire time there, and you ask, well, what took you so long? You had 15 years to find out what took so long. Unless that shower is some sort of crazy outlier, you should already know what took so long. You should know why your wife or husband takes 27 minutes in the shower while you only take 11 minutes in the shower. All you had to do was an easy ask. You could have figured it out real fast. If you are still asking that question after 17 years, it's either an outlier, which I understand, or you don't really want to know. You just want to be mad. So as the offensive line and as protection has become part of the narrative this season, I want to point out that not every game where Josh Allen is under pressure is going to be the same. And not every game where Josh Allen isn't under pressure is going to be the same. This ties back into what we talked about in week one. Yes, Josh Allen was under pressure a lot in week one. A lot of it was his fault. A lot of it was his fault. But if you're a results-based thinker, then you're just going to see all results looking similar as a result of the same process being similar. And that's not true. Well, my shower takes six minutes. Her shower takes 18 minutes. Do you have the same amount of hair that she does? Are you shaving all the things she's shaving? If you still need to ask, the opportunity was there. You, you could have figured that out. You don't even need the all 22 in a lot of cases 
to be able to avoid that type of results-based thinking. You could just go back and watch the offensive line. You could just do it. Just the offensive line. Because you know that when you watch it through the first time live, your eyes are following the ball. You know this. This is the way most people watch football. Your eyes are following the ball. You don't see something unless it flashes into your vision. Your vision's on where the ball is. So unless someone is within the halo around the ball, you're not going to be able to see it first time through on the live watch. But do you want to, or do you just want to be a radio caller? Do you want to know the process that goes into these things? Do you want to know why it took so long in the shower? Or do you just want to be mad? So as we think about these things, and I'm bringing them up now because they haven't happened yet. We haven't had consecutive losses where it looks like the, you know, the car is careening off the, the ledge and everybody's at each other's throats. Maybe if the Buffalo Bills lose to the Miami Dolphins later on after this recording, maybe that will happen. But if it does, let's not ask what's taking so long in there. Let's just take the few seconds to figure out what's taking so long in there. Because then we'll have a better understanding. We won't have to ask. And if you still frustratingly ask after a significant amount of time, then you probably had the opportunity to learn. You probably had the opportunity to know the answer. You just didn't want to. So let's all make a concerted effort to know what took so long in the shower so that we don't have to get frustrated because we know. I have no idea if that metaphor landed at all. It could have been the worst one I've ever done on the show, but I'm a little bit foggy. But we're going to take a quick break. Stick with me. I will be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. I may have just dropped the most elaborate and confusing metaphor I think I've ever dropped on this show. And I have no clue at this point if it landed, but I'm not going to go back and try and re-record it. I'm not going to do it. If it works, it works. If it doesn't work, it didn't work. Eh. There's plenty of things I've done that haven't worked. But you will show me grace. I'm sure you will. Because that's the type of people that you are. You show me grace when I fail you. But there's one thing I want to talk about in the second segment. And I want to talk about motion. I want to talk about motion at the snap. One of the things 
that we were harping on Ken Dorsey about. This season, last season, it was a big talking point during training camp was motion. I mentioned it at the end of week one. At the end of week one, right after the week one game was over and we were getting ready to kind of transition into week two, I said one of the things you could do to potentially help Josh Allen, give him some answers before the test, right, with pre-snap motion and obviously increase play action under center. We've seen one of those things. Play action under center has been increased, but we haven't seen an increase in motion. In fact, the Buffalo Bills use pre-snap motion the second least of any team in football. Now, I want to point out something. There is a correlation between the newfangled offenses and snap percentage that includes pre-snap motion. The top of the league looks like this. The Dolphins, the Rams, the Lions, the Chargers, the Niners, and the Green Bay Packers. Do you notice something there? The Niners, the Packers, the Rams, the Dolphins, they're all part of the same tree. That's the Cushion Consortium. It's the Shanahan, McVay, LaFleur offense. All of them at the top of the list. But at the bottom of the list, you have other good offenses. You have Philadelphia. You have the Bills. You have the Cowboys. So that's interesting. The, 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 the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who have been lauded, their offensive coordinators, like, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe Dave Canales is going to get head coaching jobs because of the work he did with Geno Smith and the work he did with Baker Mayfield, how well they've done relative to their expectations so far this year. So that's important to note. The Kansas City Chiefs, which, you know, I don't think anyone's going to say the Kansas City Chiefs offense is bad. They're right in the middle of the pack. So I think it's interesting that while you haven't seen a lot of those things from the Buffalo Bills, there was a quote that percolated its way around the internet that I got that I thought was extremely valuable. Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan. I am going to read this to you because I want to make sure that I am not, I am not misquoting him. I want to read it for you verbatim. The question was, guys ran a chunk of those Miami motions Monday. Was that germane to the Rams? Or is that something you thought maybe going forward can create a lot more mismatches off of it? And he said this, quote, it's kind of twofold. It's become those the short motions have sort of become the new fly motions, which we've everyone's done to some degree for the last couple of years. And you see it show up a little bit here and there. But Miami sort of has done a lot more of it. They've done a good job of incorporating it, but really it's just an abbreviated fly motion. So instead of coming from across the formation, it starts on the same side. And you know, you can play with it and you can create softness and motion and cuts out of stacks and give the defensive guys things to communicate on. And it's something that we've toyed with a little bit even in the past years, not as much as you're seeing it now and across the league. And then we've added some more elements that we think fit us. And as you study the league and study what people are doing to put guys in good positions, and that's kind of where it all stemmed from. Then the question came to him, why isn't everyone just doing like 80% motion? Like some of these teams are having so much success. What's the philosophy behind that for you guys and being more static, which is an unbelievable question. So good for that person to ask that question. So if you see it around the league and it's happening a lot, why is it not happening here? He said, quote, all motion is not created equal. 
What are you motioning for is to me always the starting point. Are you motioning for a reason? Does the motion uncover something about the defense? Does it give you a pressure? Tell you what you're going to get as far as a blitz? Does the front lock and then why? This is one of my moves is the fly motion distort the defense. What are you trying to get out of it? And just saying that motion equals success, I think that's a very blanket way to look at motion. The advantage of being static sometimes is that now you know where everybody's going to be. You don't always know what the response is going to be to a motion. Some quarterbacks prefer that. They prefer to see. They want to see you lined up and see what it looks like. But then there's a time and a place for it. It's as if whatever the intent of the motion is, you're aware of the cause and effect. I think it's probably the best way to put it. But I've been in offenses where we were static all the time and hardly ever motion, and we found a lot of success. And I've been in offenses where you motion quite a bit because it helps get guys open and free guys up. And, you know, you can't just win one-on-one sometimes. So there's a time and a place for it, I think. And we found that it's been, you know, a little bit that we've used it both ways, both static and with motion. And we found both ways to be successful. I think that you got a good mix of it and your motion has the right intention. You can find some good stuff. Another great follow-up here, question. Does Burrow like the chess element of it? And this is the last quote from Brian Callahan. He said, it fits him. I would say that's a fair statement. I mean, he likes to see the defense. He likes to see it spread out. A lot of times when you're in motion formations, you're super condensed, everything's tight, and you're motion in and out of type of formations, and some guys prefer the opposite. And Joe would probably lean in and say, if all things equal, I'd like to have everybody spread out, know where everybody's at, and I can diagnose from there. Not to say he can't do the other, but that's probably a fair assessment. Now, I recognize fully that I just quoted you three long block quotes, and that probably doesn't make for great content, but it's extremely valuable because this is going to be a talking point, and I want you to remember this conversation about it. And that is, it's not as simple as more motion better, less motion not better, because there are good offenses that are a little bit more static. The reason I said I wanted more motion is because I wanted Josh Allen to have more answers at the snap. Now, Josh Allen might feel far more comfortable in a static offense because everybody lines up. He gets a chance to look at it. He goes, okay, I know where everyone's going to be as far as my receivers go. If they give me this, I'm going to do this. If they give me that, I'm going to do that. If they give me A, I'll give them B. If they give me C, I'll give them D. And he has that established before the snap. If he motions, then he has to add another element there to that process. It's now, how did they react to the motion and how is that different than what I just saw? And so for some quarterbacks, they might like it spread out and static. That maybe helps them process faster. So if Josh Allen is one of those quarterbacks, if he's one of the quarterbacks like Joe Burrow that would prefer it that way, then not necessarily more motion is always better. And I just think it's a nice caveat because static, because using a lot of motion is kind of the new wave of offense in the NFL. But it's got to work for your quarterback too. And th- this, is where, this is where I don't know the answer because I'm not inside Josh Allen's head. I'm not. I don't know what he prefers. And I don't know if he would ever actually tell us if we asked. I don't know if he tells the truth anyway, but I think it's really, really, really valuable to add that point of context. And I was so grateful that I saw it on Twitter slash X. It's always going to be Twitter to me and that I was able to read it and I was able to bring it to this 
conversation because I think it adds an incredibly valuable piece of context to the, well, more motion is better than less motion discussion. We're going to emails. Joe says, hello, Bruce. Hopefully a simple question. Spencer Brown looked awful week one, but looked very good week two. Honestly, even above serviceable. I know the Jets probably have a top five defensive line, so that makes anyone look bad, so it stands. The question is, was he better week two? Was it just scheme? What can we learn from these two games moving forward? So hopefully I addressed part of this. Part of this earlier. And that is, the Buffalo Bills did scheme up really well to help him week two. I didn't think he was great week two at all. I thought he was eh week two. He was better week three, in my opinion. So I don't think that week two told us a ton about Spencer Brown and his development. Week three might have told us a little bit about his development because I thought he was better. Next email. Andy says, Bruce, after week one, a lot of people were focusing on the messaging from McDermott and Diggs to Josh. Play smart. My question is, why do this? Yes, Josh 100% needed to get it together and make better decisions against the Jets. Clearly, he did not. But McDermott's theme since he's gotten here has been growth mindset. I'm no expert, but I'm pretty sure the first rule of establishing a growth mindset is to not use phrases like smart because they don't encourage growth. You're either smart or you're not. Josh, play smart. There's no room for analyzing how to improve. It just equates to I'm not playing smart with no tips for actual growth. You can't be surprised that he does worse after getting this feedback. So my question is, do you think McDermott lost his way a bit with this mindset messaging? Has he emphasized it less now that the team is more successful? Or was it all just a load of malarkey with some nice sound bites? Maybe McDermott just forgets this stuff under pressure of game day. I'm a bit surprised I haven't heard more about it, but I don't know the answer here. Any insight? So this is an interesting question. Does the phrase play smart conflict with the idea that he says growth mindset? I don't think so. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. So playing smart is something you do. Being smart is something you are. So one of the hallmarks of the growth mindset is that knowledge is not fixed. It's something that can be molded. It's something that's fluid. And so I think it's really important to separate a qualification from an action in that statement. So when you say, hey, play smart, it's a specific thing we would like you to do, right? Now, obviously, that wasn't the end of that, right? It was a, hey, play smart. And by doing so, you can grow through this. I think that there's a difference between playing smart and being smart. Hey, Josh, be smart. What, what, what are you saying I'm not smart? I think there's a difference there. Play smart is an action verb. It's something that you do. So that's my take on that. Um, I don't think it conflicts with the growth mindset. I don't think that it was a, a load of malarkey by any means. I think Sean McDermott is that guy. I mean, I know plenty of people in my professional life that have that vibe. That is, they really are growth mindset people. I think those people do exist. They've, I mean, that's an extremely popular book for a reason. I think plenty of people really ascribe to it. And it's based on the idea that knowledge is not fixed. You can't get better. You can't expand. So David sent me an email. Not sure the Dolphins game last Sunday will be a part of your narratives, but I think it's worth noting to set the record straight. The Dolphins scored a touchdown on every possession. But we've done that against the playoff team rather than 0-3 teams. 
The only difference is they had more possessions. So it isn't scoring more reliably, just faster. We would have been running time off the clock most of the second half. They were unwilling or unable to manage the clock that well. Is Miami a top-tier team? Yes, we knew that. Are they unbeatable? No. Are they better than us? I have my doubts. So, yes, you're right. They scored every possession. The Buffalo Bills have scored every possession. But also, the Buffalo Bills scored every possession two years ago. Like, that. that's... I don't know if that's really relevant right now. So, yeah, they absolutely did it. We did it against the playoff team two years ago. I don't think that matters now. And, yes, the Broncos' defense is horrendous. That is a a broken organization right now. There are multiple people who are like, this is as low as it's ever been because the amount that they have invested in Russell Wilson and Sean Payton and the money and the draft picks and the huge amount of contracts spent on the offensive line of free agency – I think that they're feeling pretty bad because fan base perception is a lot about hope. It's not necessarily about where you are. It's about where you feel like the arrow is pointing. So Buffalo Bills fans were excited about Josh Allen after year two. Josh Allen after year two wasn't a really good quarterback, in my opinion, but the trajectory was pointing up. And that's why we were excited. Did we know he was going to blow up in 2020? Some people did. Yeah, for sure. I wasn't one of them. I was wrong. I was like, yeah, sure. I projected him to do a little better in 2020 than he did in 2019. He did a lot better in 2020 than in 2019. But the point was that the trajectory was pointing up. The arrow was pointing up. It's not about where you are. It's about where you think you're going. And the Broncos are not feeling optimistic. They're, I mean, they're already talking about all over Broncos Twitter right now. It is, are we going to trade Patrick Sertan? Like one of the best young corners in football to try and jump this rebuild because they think, you know, Hey, you know, might not want to resign a corner. If you're this bad, we might be bad for a long time. Maybe he's going to want out. Like that's where they're at right now. Trading one of the best young corners in football. So they're down bad right now. And Miami was great. We won and they were tight with the Patriots week two. Do I think Miami is this unstoppable dominant force? No, no, I don't think they're unstoppable. No one's unstoppable. But they're really good. They're really good. And I would not be offended if a bunch of the experts took Miami. Listen, I understand the Broncos are a train wreck. I just said it. But they still scored 70 points. Do you have any idea how many train wrecks have existed in the NFL over the years and people haven't scored 70? It's just the way it is. So a lot of things have happened. People just haven't scored 70. They're not capable of scoring that fast. So... Yeah, I know you might get irritated when you see people giving the Dolphins their flowers, but they scored 70 points. If the Bills had scored 70 points, you would be demanding all the flowers. And rightfully so. So they get their flowers until someone takes them away. Hopefully the Buffalo Bills can do it this week. Evan says, I need to apologize to Bills Mafia. I missed the deadline in week one to send in an almighty take, and that led to an avid Bruce exclusive listener, Josh Allen, feeling anxious heading into his big game in New Jersey. I did that before the Washington game. However, good friend Terrell Bernard knew I was busy and as a one-time favor offered to pick up the slack, but said I need to do my own work for Miami. So here we go. Evan's got to take. Yes. Miami is producing offense at a historical pace through three games and just won 70 to 20 against team with losing records and Washington put up 35 versus Denver and three versus Buffalo. Yes. Tua is basically unstoppable if you allow him to stick to his first read. Yes, their defense has Vic Fangio, who allowed a shootout with the Chargers. However, 
Miami has yet to play the season against defensive line like the Bills. Side note, if they keep up the production, we need to think up a nickname for them like the Jim Schwartz cold front. I'll get on it, by the way. They also have yet to play with their dad, and they do not get the benefit of the sun, nor the galvanizing effect of being pelted with snowballs. The Dolphins will score points, but like Loki and Tony Stark in Avengers, I have an army. We have a Hulk. Josh Allen will remind Miami who their daddy is and what he does. He'll go 31 for 37 for 317 yards, four passing touchdowns. Diggs, Kincaid, Davis, and Sheffield in his revenge game. Plus, Murray and Harris, each infuriating James Cook fantasy owners with a touchdown, each with Cook rushing for 110 yards. Miami manages to score 21 despite Tua being sacked five times. Once he sumigashes Matt Milano off the sack to avoid hitting his head, which looks great, but isn't a scoring technique in football, from what I understand. Sumigechi is a um, judo maneuver. It's a, it's a whole thing. Trey White, Christian Benford, and Al Oliver, of all people, secure interceptions. And my friend Terrell forces a fumble from Tyreek Hill that's recovered by Milano. Bills win 45-21 after starting the game down 14-3 midway through the first quarter. Good to have you back, Kevin. It's good to get a take. Not going to complain about it. I said it was going to be a short pod. Ended up being over 30 minutes. And I am out of gas. So, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan. Buffalo Rockies. to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.